Well, what is something that you fear? Or what do you fear? You don't have to necessarily answer right now, but people fear all sorts of things. You may fear snakes or spiders or maybe uh, tall places or heights or maybe you fear, fear failure, certain foods. Maybe you fear dentists like I do. But um, some people you see on the internet try to face their fears. There's different videos that I watch and it's interesting how people face their fears. This one video this past week, a guy had a fear of heights and he was pushed out of an airplane. So instantly he was facing his fear head on. Or maybe you see a video of someone swimming with sharks um, trying to face their fear of sharks or water or maybe a combination thereof. Well, a fear that we've all faced in one form or another is the fear of sharing our faith. Sometime, at some point, I'm sure we've all been afraid of doing that, maybe with a close family member, a close friend, somebody we don't know, somebody we just met. Well, we fear sharing our faith. We fear rejection, maybe fearing not having the right words to say or fearing how somebody might respond when we share. Well, in today's chapter, in Matthew chapter 10, Stephen Herschel, my son, said he was looking forward to Matthew 10. So here we are with Matthew 10. Jesus encourages us not to fear. Not to fear as we proclaim the good news. We must not fear even when people mock us for our faith. We must not fear even when people ignore us for our faith. We must not fear even when bodily harm is threatened against us for our faith. Why should we not fear? Well, because God is with us and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And we are not to fear because God has sent us out. He is the one who sent us out, not for failure, but because he goes with us and he has plans in sending us. So let us look today at Matthew chapter 10. And as we turn there, I saw a quote this past week that I've read before, but it's a good reminder. C.H. Spurgeon said, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And so we are called to speak and to go and to share. We might not be called to go to Peru, like Faith, Ryan, and Nancy and I are going later this week. We might not be called to go to another country, but God has called us to speak and to proclaim and to share where he has planted us, of what he has done. So here in chapter 10, Jesus sends out the apostles to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. So we're going to go ahead and read the whole chapter this morning, even though it's lengthy, for as we honor the reading and preaching of God's holy word. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out the apostles. He called to him his twelve disciples... And gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. What you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray once again. Gracious Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that we will not only acknowledge you before those here in our midst today, but we will acknowledge you each and every day. We confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, I pray that we will follow the Son of Man because you have opened our eyes to see that he is the Son of God. Lord, we thank you for these things. I pray that you will teach us to fear not as we share and proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We long for your Christ, your Son's return. And Lord, we look forward to that day. And until then, find us being faithful 
to the task that you have given us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, as we look at this chapter, we're not going to get to the whole chapter. Um, You might have saw I did cut off the chapter a bit early. There's so many things in this chapter we're going to evaluate. But first and foremost, as we look at the first section, the first 15 verses, we see Jesus calling his disciples together, calling those inner 12 for a purpose, not together just to be together and to have this cool group with cool clothing and to play board games late at night. No, that's not why he's called them together. He's called these 12 together to send them out to send them out, as we see here, in the midst of those who will not receive their instruction or receive their testimony. He calls them in order to send them. So in the first 15 verses, we see that Jesus calls the apostles to send them. He sends them with a purpose. And the purpose of the first 15 verses is to proclaim it. The key verse is verse 7. So look with me in verse 7. The key verse is that they are to proclaim as you go out, as you have directions and destinations and things to do, as you're going, proclaim this message. Here's the message. What's the message in verse 7? Proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as we look at last week, chapter 9, proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Again, the kingdom is essential as a part of the gospel. And as they go, they are to proclaim The king's message. This is the king's message. We see several other things in the first 15 verses. We don't have time to look at all these things. But we see that they are to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. That's no short order. That's not a simple task to do. What would you do today? Well, cast out demons, raise the dead, heal the sick. These are impressive things that only the Spirit can do. But even amongst this impressive list, that's not the primary task. These things of healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, all are complementary things to the main message. That is, the kingdom has come. This one that we are following, this Messiah, Jesus, he has come as the Messiah that we were longing for, the one we were waiting for. So that's the main message. So as we see these other things of being hospitable, yet discerning, of of um, casting out demons, giving generously, living simply. All these other aspects are secondary to the main message, which is proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But there is one thing I want to point out in this section. Jesus instructs them to go specifically, to go specifically, it says in verse 5, Jesus sends them out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but to go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is a peculiar set of verses. We could do a whole sermon on these two verses. But I will say this. Why why is Jesus sending them just to Israel, to the people that, that Jesus comes from, to the Jews? Why does he tell them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Well, commentators have numerous opinions, and I won't list, list seven of them for you, but it seems as if one reason is Jesus knew that they would not be prepared to minister to the Samaritans and other non-Jews. Now, we can't say that Jesus was not ministering to Gentiles, because in John chapter 10, he says he has sheep that are not of this fold. So he would minister to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, besides just the Jews. But here... He tells them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel primarily because the Jews were the ones to receive the message first. 
Romans 1 affirms this as well. They were the people to hear the gospel, the kingdom, the judgment, the salvation that has come. They were the one to hear this message first. But even as they hear this message, Jesus knows they will not all receive it. But primarily they are to hear it first and Jesus spends the bulk of his ministry ministering to the Jews. Jesus knew even in ministering to them, even as he sends out the disciples to them, that many would not listen. Many would reject his message, but yet he goes proclaiming the gospel to them because there would be a remnant. There would be some who would listen, who would follow. And so they are sent out to proclaim the good news to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so here in verse 7, as they go proclaiming, what is their message? We've already heard it said a couple of times. The message is this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is a message that we've already heard. Who else has said this? John the Baptist. He was the first one. And then Jesus as well from his own lips. He said this very thing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this message of the kingdom proclaims that God's work has come. And what do we mean by the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Well, we mean lots of things, but first and foremost, we mean Jesus is embodying that kingdom. He is here. He is the hope of heaven. He is before them. And so now Jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven being at hand. And now the disciples go out saying, the kingdom of heaven is here. Your hope that you're looking for is here. And he is found in the Messiah. He is the one you're looking for. As columnist Cal Thomas points out, the kingdom of God or heaven is not going to arrive on Air Force One. This is true. Why? Because the kingdom revolves around the king, and that king is King Jesus, not on any earthly power. So when Jesus speaks, and when the apostles speak, when the disciples speak of the kingdom of heaven, they are speaking of God's plan. God's plan. Because Christ is here, Jesus reveals the kingdom to us as the ruler of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not a realm, it is a rule. The kingdom can be defined as the reign of God. George Ladd, I've probably mentioned him before, has been instrumental in my thinking in helping me understand that the kingdom is both present and yet future. The kingdom has been inaugurated but not consummated. Now, I know that's fancy theological language, but let me break that down a bit. When I say it's inaugurated, we, we are saying it's already here, but it's not yet complete. The age of salvation has arrived, but again, it is not yet complete. It is accurate to say for those who are in Christ that we have been saved and that we are being saved. And so Christ is doing a good and new work. So we enjoy <clears throat> the new creation that has begun, but yet we do not enjoy it in its fullness because death still exists and the curse is not completely gone. As many others have said, we live in the overlap of the ages between the already and the not yet. We are already saved and yet we await final salvation. We are already adopted, but we await the full adoption of the restoration of our bodies. There's three key words that we should think about when we think about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Those three words are repentance. Remember John the Baptist, Baptist, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
So repentance, redemption, and restoration. There is no entrance into the kingdom unless there is repentance. So repentance is essential where we turn from sin and turn to Christ as Savior. Through Jesus Christ, redemption is a reality. We are delivered by the blood of Christ spilt on the cross. So redemption, repentance, but also restoration. All three of these aspects point to the beauty of the kingdom. Look at what George Ladd says about the kingdom. He says, apart from the gospel of the kingdom, apart from the gospel of the kingdom, death is the mighty conqueror before whom we are all helpless. I was just talking with Tyler and Catherine about our, our state apart from the cross that we are, we are hopeless. We are hopeless apart from the cross. And that's what Ladd says. We can only beat our fists in utter futility against this unyielding and unresponsive tomb. But the good news is this, death has been defeated. Our conqueror has been conquered. In the face of the power of the kingdom of God in Christ, death was helpless. It could not hold him. Death has been defeated. Life and immortality have been brought to life. An empty tomb in Jerusalem is proof of it. This is the gospel of the kingdom. So even as the disciples are sent out, they don't have the full picture. They didn't know the cross was yet to come, but yet they knew that hope is here. So we, as followers of Christ, we have an even greater picture. We have a greater view of God's global plan. So as I talked about repentance and redemption, but again, we see restoration as a part of the kingdom. That's why in the book of Acts, remember what the disciples said? After he had come back to life, after the resurrection, they they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they understood that restoration is essential. Restoration will come, but not before the work of the church is done. So we see that we have a part in this story, that the disciples were sent out and that we are sent out to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. I love Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. It says that we go out to proclaim the wisdom of God. That's the church's duty, to proclaim the wisdom of God, proclaim the beauty of God, proclaim the glory of God. This is what our God has done. So restoration will come, but not before the work of the church is done. So we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom because Jesus is king. Jesus is king. As we go out, we are investing in others. We are sharing truth. We are loving others. We are listening to others. And we are pointing others to Jesus in the midst of their brokenness. I was reading a book this past week. It's actually the book that we're going to be talking about on Wednesdays as we study evangelism and sharing our faith. And one of the things it says is that People are broken. People are dealing with lots of messiness and we live in a fallen world and people are facing trials of various kinds and we are called to listen. So yes, we are called to speak, but we are called to listen. Yes, we are called to listen, but we are also called to speak, to proclaim the good news. So Jesus, our Savior, sends out the disciples. He sends them out. He deploys the kingdom. He sent out his disciples years ago and he's sending out his disciples today. We see in Matthew chapter 28, we'll get there eventually, that all authority has been given to who? Jesus. All authority has been given to our Savior. And he sends us out as the church to proclaim the hope that is here. 
that in the midst of a broken, fallen world, light has come. In the midst of darkness, light is found through Christ. So we see, as they are sent out, I did not mean to spend that much time on the first 15 verses. That's okay. Um, But as they are sent out, the first 15 verses, we see that they are going to face opposition. In verse 16, what does verse 16 say? Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. I would have probably been that sarcastic disciple that says underneath his breath, thanks, Jesus. You know, you're sending us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, if I was a betting man and there was a wolf and a sheep next to one another, I'm probably not going to bet on the sheep. The sheep, what's going to happen to the sheep? It's not a good picture. You know, we're not going to look, we're not going to stick around to see what happens to the sheep, but the sheep is defenseless. The sheep is defenseless to the wolf. But here we see that Jesus is sending out his disciples to proclaim the gospel of kingdom is at hand in the midst of wolves. They're defenseless. But they are reminded that they do not go alone. So we are not reaching down into our bag of tricks. We're not trying to depend upon our own resources. But who is our defense? Jesus. He goes out with us. The Holy Spirit leads us. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit and we are to go out. Jesus calls us to go out and to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He's not telling us to be like Satan. He's not telling us to be cunning, but rather he's saying we must be on guard as people reject the gospel, as people seek to distort the gospel, as people seek to distort what we say. We must be on guard. We must use discernment while being blameless in our conduct. So Jesus' main message here is to be on guard against men and women who seek to destroy you and the gospel you stand for. I was talking to the children this past week about um, a different religious group, we'll just leave it at that, who claim to be Christians, but yet distort the truth of the gospel. And they were asking me, Dad, what do they believe? I said, well... They say that they believe the gospel, but yet they distort it by adding to it and by distorting the grace of God. And so we've got to be careful with others who say that they believe what we believe, but yet they distort the gospel. They distort who Jesus is. They distort the finished work of the cross. We must believe in what God says is true. That's why Paul tells Titus to teach others according to sound doctrine. So here we see Jesus sends out the disciples to be discerning as others seek to destroy not only the gospel message, they're going to seek to destroy you. They're going to seek to put you in prison, to threaten you. Now we know 95% of us, Jack probably appreciate this quote, 95% of us probably won't face the threat of persecution at the level these disciples did But yet we must persevere in whatever persecution we do face, whether it's being overlooked for promotion or being ignored at lunchtime or being unfriended, God forbid, on Facebook. (laughs) We don't face the the threat that they do, but yet we we, we must understand that we must persevere in the gospel amidst persecution, however mild it may be. 
And we see as we go on, we're not going to, obviously we're not going to go through this chapter verse by verse, but as we go on, Jesus tells them, as followers of Christ, not to fear man. Charlie and I have talked about this numerous times, that we're not to have a big fear of man and a small fear of God. We must have a big fear of God, and that will produce a healthy fear of man. We fear God. We have a healthy fear and reverence of God, not a, 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 uh, an anxiety-driven fear of man. We are driven to speak boldly because we know the Spirit will guide us and direct us in what we say. We may be maligned, but we will not be deterred. So as we continue in this chapter, Jesus gives us confidence in the midst of fear. Fear we may have of those who seek to destroy our message. And fear we may have of those who seek to threaten us. But we do not fear man because God is with us. God gives us confidence. Jesus gives his disciples confidence in the midst of a world that resists the truth. How does he give us confidence in this chapter? I want to give you three reasons we have confidence. Number one, God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. Number two, God is with us. And number three, you'll probably hear me say this a thousand more times, God is sovereign. That's not just a theological truth that we can tuck away. That is a life-changing truth that comforts us in the here and now. So God's timing is perfect. Oh, good job. I didn't even plan on that being up there. That's good. God's timing is perfect. God is with us and that God is sovereign. So we see now Jesus is saying, before I was telling you to not disclose the gospel of the kingdom, that we were to keep it secret, but now the time is to reveal it. What I mean by that, look back just a couple of chapters, Matthew 8. Matthew 8, verse 4, remember we looked at this last week, after Jesus cleansed the leper, after he healed numerous people, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. Well, here in Jesus, or here in Matthew 8, verse 4, after he cleanses the leper, what does he tell the man? See that you say nothing to anyone. And other examples as well, there's healings. He says, no, now is not the time to share this message, but keep it to yourself. For numerous reasons, the message was not to get out at that time because he had more ministry and work to be done. But now, he says, proclaim it from the rooftops. I am he who has come as Messiah. So Jesus is Lord and God's timing is perfect and they are called, we are called, we must must not separate ourselves from the text, we are called to proclaim the light of the gospel. The time has come to reveal his identity. The disciples are sent out to proclaim Jesus as Lord. Even to those who will not hear this. There are some who will not hear, but we must not fear. We must not fear, because again, God is with us. His timing is perfect and that God is with us. Look with me in verse 28. 28 is a sermon in and of itself. Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is a life-changing verse. 
It was a life-changing verse for Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley, John Rogers, John Hooper, and many, many more. Those four men, on October 16th, 1555, died for their beliefs, died being burned at the stake for the fact that they believed this gospel message. Hugh Latimer once said this to Nicholas Ridley before the two of them were burned at the stake. Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle. By God's grace in England, as I trust, shall never be put out. That's having an eternal perspective. Even as we are about to die, our deaths are not in vain. I think about the five missionaries in Ecuador, Jim Elliott and his, and his, and his friends who died for the gospel. We can think of many other examples of those who have died as martyrs so that the gospel might go forth. How can they face such threat and persecution? Because they know that their lives are just a glimpse in the midst of the greater picture, the greater story, the greater timeline is that the gospel would go forth because these men realized, I count my life as a loss in surpassing of knowing that Jesus Christ is my everything. Even as so encouraged by Tyler as we were just talking last hour, I said, how would you say who God is? He says, well, God is everything. That's what these men believed. That's what you and I must believe. That's what will encourage us to go and proclaim Jesus is King. If you are here this morning as a Christian, have confidence in the midst of persecution, in the midst of those who don't understand, who may not hang around you as much as they used to because they're blind to the gospel message. But even in the midst of their blindness, we are called to go, we are called to speak, we are called to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. So we must not fear John Gill says this about Matthew ten twenty eight. This is a description of God and of his power who is able to do that which men are not. All that men can do by divine permission is to kill the body. That'll take your breath away. All they can do is kill the body. Well, that's pretty significant. But even that, Gill's not saying this is my added commentary, is under God's sovereign hand. Even that is under God's sovereign hand. But all they do is kill the body. But he, that is God, is able to destroy, that is to torment and punish body and soul in hell in everlasting burnings. So Gil and Matthew, of course, here is saying, fear God. We must have a reverential fear of God who created us and is sovereign over all of life. So we do not fear men for they are not ultimately and eternally in control. God is. God is. So just like in in a few chapters ago in Matthew 6, when Jesus spoke about the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, again, Jesus reminds us here, he reminds us here that God watches over all of creation. That especially includes you and me. When he says here in this section, he says, you are of more value than many sparrows. And so he says, we are his most special creation. And he tells us, in verse 31, fear not. 
I love talking with Vivian about these two special words. Fear not. She says these words bring us confidence and hope. Fear not is mentioned over and over many times throughout the Bible. We are not to fear not because God is near. God is near. Psalm 56. Turn with me to Psalm 56. I don't think it's going to be on your screen. 50, Psalm 56. These are encouraging words. I've talked to the, about these words with uh, Deborah. Deborah, I don't know if you remember these words or not, but Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? God is with us. He is with his children, so we are not to fear. Then the last two verses we'll look at this morning, verses 32 and 33, we read a promise and a warning, a promise to bring his disciples comfort, a promise to bring you and I comfort this morning. In verse 32 it says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. This is the promise that we are to follow Christ, not just with lip service, but with our lives that we are to follow Christ. We confess Jesus is Lord with our lives. And then the warning in verse 33, it says, Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. Reminds me of Matthew 7. A good reminder that there are eternal consequences for those who deny and reject Christ. There are eternal consequences consequences for those who reject Christ as Savior. Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just a moral man. He's not just another prophet. He is king. He is king of the kingdom. So let me encourage you this morning to trust in Jesus Christ. Look to him. Believe upon Jesus. Believe in him. Believe that he is who he said he is, that he is the light of the world, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the Savior. He is the Savior who saves. He's not just able to save, he actually saves. And he can save you this morning. Let us pray.